Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Uh, we are broadcasting today from the shores of Black Duck Lake, about a reference point about 25 miles north of Bemidji, Minnesota. We're staying at the Dunrovin Resort. It's a really nice place. We fished out of here. We're going to talk a lot about that today in case you'd like to come up and make a trip. They've got 11 cabins, an RV spot up here. They just really take care of all your needs. I'm going to tell you more about Dunrovin later in the show. But if you want to look them up, it's D-U-N-R-O-V-I-N-Resort.com. We're going to get more into them a little later. Before we really get into the show, I want to give a shout-out to a fan, Tim Kelleher. His, uh, his daughter plays softball with my granddaughter, Caitlin, and their team has been on a tear the last few weekends, winning at least three games in their last two tournaments. So uh, uh, Tim's an avid outdoorsman and a big fan of the show, so thanks for listening. A shout-out to Tim Kelleher. We're going to talk a lot about traveling to fish today, a couple different ways, different segments. We're going to talk a little bit about the lake trout at Granby are still doing really well. Nate Zielinski is going to take us uh, through the transition at the second hour as the shad are moving offshore and the walleyes are suspending with them. We'll talk about that, how it affects the fishing and how you need to approach it. We've got some safety information for the 4th of July. We want to make sure we get out there and just a lot of stuff to cover. Let's go to the phones and joining us. My long-term fishing partner, in fact, if I told you how many years this gentleman and I have fished together, it, you, you'd think I was 100 years old. Uh, him and I have fished the Northlands of Minnesota and a m- bunch of other places together for many, many years. We grew up fishing together. He's uh, been nominated for the Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame. He's been a legendary guide here in Minnesota. He he was an outdoor writer, writing columns for several newspapers for decades. And one of my closest and best friends, more like a brother than a friend to me, Greg Claggio. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful day up here. I mean, you and I are we're only a few miles apart, but I can't imagine it isn't a sunny day. And I know for a fact that you've already been out on the water today. <laughs> well, it looks like it's going to be another hot one, so I figured I'd get a few licks in. And it was tough fishing. Well, you know, speaking of tough fishing, we're, I'm here on the shores of Black Duck Lake, which is one of the premier walleye lakes in Minnesota. It was one of the hottest bites in the state till about a week before I showed up. They're going to put on my tombstone. He should have been here yesterday. But <laughs> I thought this gives you and I a great opportunity because we've been doing this for years. We did it together up here, and then until COVID, we'd get together on a regular basis. We finally got to do our trips. But we always find a way to catch some fish. And people who want to come up to the north country here, especially to fish, the diversity of water and fish means you should almost never have a failed fishing trip because even though there was still a walleye bite real early a.m. and really early p.m. on Black Duck, and I think it's going to start picking up, a mayfly hatch had come in just a couple days before God here. The fish were gorging on those mayflies really made the walleyes tough on this lake. Everybody was struggling, but you and I 
we come up with plans, we do things, we take advantage of the diversity in Minnesota to have a successful trip, don't we? Oh, we sure do. You know, when you run into a tough fishing situation, you got to make your own luck. And if you're stuck on one lake, you don't have a boat, you're, you know, maybe you're renting a resort boat, but change your presentations and do something different. No, you're absolutely right. Let's kind of take them through how we approached it, and then we'll talk more in general. You came up uh, Monday afternoon. It was a tougher time of the day. We, I'll admit we fished this lake during some of the toughest times of the day. We got a few bites. We got a few fish, did some things, but we knew it wasn't going to be up to our expectations. We had planned for a fish fry. We wanted to make sure we got walleye. So the next morning, we went to Red Lake, which is, what, about 30 miles from here? Yeah, 45 minutes. Yeah, we got in and we said, okay, there's a change of venue. We went there and we caught a couple limits of walleyes in the morning and then came back down here and did some more fishing. But we had our fish for the fish fry. And that's one of the advantages of the North Country up here, isn't it? The number of lakes and each one has its own personality. So if you have your boat with you, it's really easy to put it on the trailer and jump to another lake, isn't it? Oh, it is. And I learned a long time ago, rather than... I was raised on a small lake in northern Minnesota, Buck Lake, and uh, instead of fishing that every day, you know, travel, sit behind the steering wheel a little bit. Don't be afraid to drive a half hour or an hour to a good lake, especially if there's a good report of a hot bite. Well, you know, and living in the West, we have some good lakes and some good waters, but we don't have the plethora of the number of lakes we have here with the different personalities, and we don't have the number of species of fish in each lake. Some of them do. We've got some great fishing. I love the fishing in Colorado. But in, if I'm fishing my home waters, which are Horse Tooth Reservoir or maybe Boyd, I have, I have to make some changes. I have to adapt to that tough bite and really see if I can scrape some fish out. And I think it makes you a better angler. But here, like you said, each of these lakes has a different personality. So one of the things we did is we went to another lake that wasn't very far from here the next day which is what, about, uh, a, a lake that was about, what, seven or eight miles from here? Yeah, that's it. And it was a small lake, I suppose maybe about 500, 800 acres, something like that. But it had a wide diversity of population of fish. We didn't think it would be as affected by the things that were affecting the, uh, the walleyes here so much. And we went there, but we changed our tactic. We decided, let's go bass fishing. And that's another thing you can do here in Minnesota. Um, we could have done different, and I'll get to that later right here on Black Duck, but we changed our venue and our way we approached it, and we ended up with a really successful day. Yeah, we did really well. And then uh, by uh, working some of that offshore structure, we got some very big bluegills, and uh, we even picked up a stray walleye. So we had a good mixed bag. It was good fishing. And that's another thing. If you make a trip up here, don't, I've seen so many people that they're not probably as accomplished an angler as you are, but they're struggling on this lake. And it's you can see it's taken the fun away from them. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about changing species, but we talked a little bit about water. But there's so many lakes up here. How many lakes are even in some of these counties around where you live? Well, Itasca County, where I live, is famous for its 1,000 lakes. And uh, at last count, this is several years ago, I had fished 300 of them. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of water around here. Yeah, and you can change. And each lake's a little different, isn't it? It really, if just because the bite might be different or slow on one lake, 
doesn't mean you can't go like we went to Red Lake and got the walleyes. doesn't mean you can't make a move. You may have to change your tactics either on the lake you're on or the lake you're going to, but you can usually find a way to be successful even with the species you're going after. Another thing you and I do, though, is that we don't say, hey, we're here to catch walleyes, and, and that's if we can't catch walleyes, we're going to have a bad trip. You and I will we'll pick bass or pike or bluegills or crappies, and we know we can, and we'll pick a lake that has an abundance, or maybe there's an abundance right on the lake we're at, and that can save your trip too, Greg. Oh, big time. You know, and here's a little tip for some of the listeners. Uh, this morning, I was out on the lake, and it's flat calm. It's getting hot already, and the walleye bite, I was just trying lead, of course, so they got to be somewhat aggressive. And I never picked up a walleye, and I thought, I'm going to go check the weeds. And when I get a, a calm day like this, I'll stand up in the bow of the boat and turn the electric on and just kind of cruise and look, because I've found schools of walleyes doing that. But this morning, I didn't find the walleyes. I found a, a big school of nice bluegills. And so then you change your tactics, you have gear with you to fish different fish, or you adapt the gear you have. Uh, in fact, at the end of the show, the last segment, Chad Lachance and I are going to talk about packing for these trips with or without your boat or if you fly or if you drive. But if you have a little bit of variety of gear and presentations, you can really adapt and, and have a great day on the water. We talked a little bit about where you and I went to that small lake, and we changed venues, but we also loved to bass fish. And so we went after those bass. So we had really caught a number of really nice bass. And by the way, if you go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a lot of the fish we're talking about here are posted on that page. Then another thing we did, uh, Karen has been just visiting her mom and relatives, but she wanted to get out on the water, didn't bring my boat. So I rented a boat here at the lodge. I knew that we were going to go out in the middle-ish part of the day, and those walleyes were going to be tough. So we went after northern pike, knowing that they'd still be active, and we fished deep in the weeds with different types of lures, and Karen virtually put on a clinic. I don't even know how many she caught, and we just had a good time. Yep, deep in the weeds, use the right presentation. A lot of fish in the weeds on these hot days. Well, I think, Doug, what we're trying to get across to people is if you come to northern Minnesota, there's so many opportunities. How many times have you fished? multiple lakes in one day <laughs> i was thinking about that this morning you know what i remember a guide trip and it, this was ice fishing but still i hit four lakes one day because the first one was so so the next one 10 minutes away was so so the third one the same and the fourth one and all these lakes are about 10 or 15 minutes apart while the last one was the best one we did really well but when you got that much water you got everything right at real handy you can jump around and keep hitting different lakes until they start to bite yeah I, I can't express enough the diversity of water that's up here in northern minnesota and then the diversity of species like i don't know how many times you and i were going to go out after bass and it was a slow bite we went crappie fishing and have ended up i remember one day we caught 100 crappies in the rain because we didn't feel like <laughs> bass fishing oh yeah you know, and something something else, you know, right now, this, this hot weather, a lot of the best walleye bite is early in the morning and late in the evening, but all, almost all day long you can catch bass, and almost all these lakes have has a good population of bass. Well, and that's another thing. You know, um, we had a fella uh, staying right next to us, a very avid angler, 
uh, Matt that you got to meet. And he'd go out 5 o'clock in the morning for an hour and catch a few walleyes. And he'd go out and then use a different technique right at the right before dark and slip bobber and catch a few walleyes. Well, that's fine, but a lot of people come up here. They don't just want to fish an hour or two a day during that hot bite. Well, that's when we can switch. Like, without leaving this lake, when Karen and I were coming in yesterday, there were some people on the dock that had been just struggling, and they wanted to have a fish fry. So Karen and I said, look, if you just go over in these weed beds over there, and they're, they're full of pike, you're not, you know, you're probably not going to catch any walleyes there, but you can have fun, and they're good to eat yet. And so we were coming, uh, walking by. We just walked down to the lake yesterday, and on our way up, they said, thank you, we're, 90% of what we're having for dinner are those pike. We went right over there and caught them. And it just shows, and I know, I know you've done this so many times, uh, where my brother is going to go fishing with us next week, and he's had some health issues. He doesn't get out much. He's a really great guy, and he's not an avid angler the way you are, you and I are. He might not be able to take the presentations, so you know there's enough different fishing, so you devised a plan to help us put him on fish, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I, I'm still working on it. Fail safe. <laughs> But, you know, we control the weed edge for some pike, but there'll be something. And I think the biggest thing that we want to leave people with is that um, if you come up to northern, first of all, if you love to fish, come up here. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I don't know that there's, you and I fish the world. I don't know if there's better fishing anywhere. Yeah, we've got so much to offer. I mean, so many different species and so many different lakes and rivers, and it's all here. Trout streams, trout lakes, everything. Musky. Yeah, and 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 once you get here, don't be afraid to make changes to tactics or even your location or the species you're going after. If you travel this far, have a good time and catch some fish. Greg, if people ever wanted more information for you about the North Country, is there a way on Facebook or something to contact you? Sure, they can look me up on Facebook. They can get my my link right from your page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Yep, and it's, it's Greg Claggio, and he's, like I said, a legendary guide, nominated for the Hall of Fame, and probably the person I've spent more hours on the water. And I, I don't even want to think about how many fish we've caught together, my friend. <laughs> it's been a few. <laughs> yeah. Greg, thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to getting back on the water with you next week. Okay, have a nice fourth. You bet. That's Greg Claggio. Tremendous, tremendous angler. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk to the regional biologist over on the northwest slope of Colorado and see what these drought conditions are doing to our fishing right there in the state. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you're headed out for this 4th of July weekend and you need anything for one of your outdoor outings, stop by Jack's. Even grilling, great grilling accessories and grills. By the way, if you're interested in seeing more of that fishing that Greg and I did, uh, we talked about in the first segment, go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. There's a couple really nice posts showing some of the diversity of the fish we caught here. Let's change things up, though, now. There's some great fishing in Colorado, too, and here to talk to, about, talk to us about it is the Northwest Regional Aquatic Biologist, Lori Martin. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. How are you? No, thanks for coming on. I'm so far away. How's the weather in uh, northwest Colorado today? 
Well, it's uh, it's beautiful. The sun is shining. It, it's going to be warm, uh, but we're we're looking forward to a great holiday weekend over here. Of course, warm can be an issue right now. You know, we've got more and more people out fishing since COVID came in. A lot of people have turned to the outdoors for their recreation. A lot of that's putting more pressures on pressure on our fisheries. And a lot of people are out there that maybe they don't understand some of the things that are going on right now. And to top that, we're in a drought condition where you're at, and some of the flows have been warm. What kind of an impact is that having on the fish and the fishing over in the West Slope? Well, it's, um, it can be um, stressful to the fish for sure. You know, um, when the water temperatures start approaching 70 degrees um, for trout, cold water fish, it can be really stressful on them. Um, and when we start seeing stream flows that are less than 50% of the, the daily average, fish uh, start getting stressed. So um, what that means is they are less likely to be feeding, um, and uh, they can also be more apt to uh, disease conditions. So... Um, we actually have some criteria that we look at when we're evaluating um, different conditions to help us determine whether or not we need to look at uh, placing fishing closures, um, now implementing those no, different waters. Now, there's both voluntary and mandatory closures, and I, we hope people will follow both. Mandatory ones where you suggest that, you know, those fish are going to be stressed, probably don't want to fish those waters, at least check the temperature and maybe go early or late, early in the day, late in the day, and isn't necessarily good. But then there's mandatory closures. You were talking about the criteria. What, what are those criteria that you use to decide to do a closure? So um, we've got five different criteria that we look at, and one is the, the water temperature, which I mentioned. Um, as it gets above 71 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a concern, the daily maximum temperature. Uh, when, when stream flows are less than or equal to 50% of the daily average, that could be a concern. Uh, if we visibly see fish that are deteriorating, they're stressed. That could be a, another concern. Um, daily dissolved oxygen temperatures dipping below um, 6 milligrams per liter or parts per million is a concern. Or, you know, if we've got some sort of a natural or a man-caused um, environmental event, you know, for example, mudslides, debris uh, flows that we've been experiencing over here on the Colorado and Glenwood Canyon, you know, that's another example where we might need to be um, concerned about having closures in place. So we look at those criteria, and if fish are stressed and we have the potential for uh, fishing pressure um, to be significant or um, is significant, then we start looking at ways that we can help mitigate um, those conditions and, and be able to be um, protective of the aquatic resources. And so you had mentioned, you know, voluntary closures. Um, those are, are situations generally where we have a, a short duration of events. Um, we've got conditions that are um, stressing fish, but they're intermittent maybe. They're not quite as constant. And um, 
we're we're not as concerned potentially with uh, fish mortality or fish survival. The other side of that is when we um, don't have those situations and we're expecting high mortality um, related to fishing, and we've got those stressors that are that are more constant. Um, or a long-term event. And a mandatory closure is one that is authorized by our director. Um, Voluntary closures are those where we're just um, very concerned, but we don't uh, feel like a mandatory closure is is necessary. Um, And so right now over here in in western Colorado, we have a mandatory fishing closure, which is a a full-day closure on the Yampa River downstream of Stagecoach Reservoir. Um, for about six-tenths of a mile just down to the the lower uh, state park boundary. And down in the southwest portion of the state, we have a voluntary uh, partial closure, a fishing closure afternoon, uh, that's 12 o'clock, on the Dolores for about 12 miles downstream of McPhee Reservoir. So those are are two that are current. and we're also looking at a, a stretch on the Colorado, really from State Bridge um, downstream. We're, we're watching uh, reservoir releases and uh, weather forecasts and temperatures um, and trying to get a feel for what's going to happen there across the next few days. So there's some, some areas that we're paying attention to, and our biologists are out evaluating conditions and um trying to uh you know keep keep our finger on the the pulse here with what's going on so that um, we can be able to pass information on to anglers i think one important thing is you know know before you go check the parks and wildlife website see if there's any closures or conditions that are listed and do your homework before you make a long drive um, if I do fish in some of these areas that are marginal, you've got some tips for handling the fish? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, trout or, or cold water fish that really function best in that 50 to 60 degree water temperature range. Um, and so one thing that folks can do is you can carry a small thermometer with you and take that temperature uh, of the water that you're planning to fish. And if, if the temperature is getting close to 70 degrees, we recommend that you really find an, an alternative place to fish, some someplace at a higher elevation um, where streams and lakes are usually cooler, especially in the morning. Um, that'll help relieve stress on, on fish. You can use heavier tippet uh, and, and land the fish quickly, uh, release fishing, you know, release fish as quickly as possible, and um, and minimize handling of fish as well. Um, all of those are, are good um, tips to, to help reduce stress on fish, especially in these more marginal um, stream areas of concern. Now, we, we don't want to paint doom and gloom. We've got a couple minutes here yet. There's still lots of tremendous fishing opportunities in Colorado that aren't affected, and we want people to get out and fish. You have a few recommendations about a few spots over there that people might try? Yeah, you bet, and we certainly do. We we want folks to get out and have a great time and, and be prepared and just not have any surprises, especially when they're making long trips. So um, I know in the, the southwest portion of the state over here, the, the Rio Grande and Gunnison and Taylor Rivers have been fishing real well. 
Uh, Blue Mesa has been good for, for kokanee. And then um, in the northwest portion of the state, the frying pan and eagle and, and roaring fork and Blue River are uh, fishing very well, clear um, and fishing well, and, as well as many of the waters up on the Grand Mesa. So um, we, we encourage folks to get out. And, and um, what you had mentioned is as far as know before you go, you can go to CPW's website, which is cpw.com state.co.us and check out our fishing conditions page and that will provide you with some updated fishing closure information and then additional resources where anglers can check stream flow and temperature conditions and uh, be prepared so um, yeah it sounds sounds great Lori we want people to get out but we also want them to understand with this drought we're going through in that area and with the added fishing pressure we want to make sure these resources are available for everybody for a long time to come thank you for joining us today thanks for having me you bet that's Lori martin she's the northwest regional biologist you know we get getting some tough conditions especially in the western part of the state we did a little better on the front range with uh with our water and there's some most reservoirs over there didn't fill in fact, we're going to talk to Gramby a little bit later. In the fishing reports and conditions she mentioned, we post that as soon as it comes out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So right now, the most current fishing conditions report is on my Facebook page at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll take a time out and we come back. We'll have so much more outdoors on Terry Wickstrom. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. 65 years of serving the outdoor public. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Bridget Cushell. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning, Terry. You know, I think what Lori said about the fishing conditions, know before you go, really fits kind of into the message you want to get out today because with so many people recreating and some of our resources actually getting to capacity very early, we don't want people taking off and getting there to find out they can't get in. That's probably a good message for all the outdoor activities right now, isn't it? Exactly. So we thought it would be helpful to just talk about some resources that are available and some safety tips that people can keep in mind to help them not just have a good outdoor experience, but actually elevate their experience and have an excellent outdoor experience. So part of that is that know before you go and just understanding that it's a holiday weekend. People are going to want to get outside and some of our parks might hit capacity and it's always good to have a backup plan. No, it certainly is because, um, you know, we're thrilled to see the number of people getting outdoors, but it that came so suddenly it kind of overwhelmed some of the resources and eventually this will catch up and it's great to see. But in the meantime, you know, don't make a long drive or pull your boat. I can tell you I talked to a reservoir on the West Slope last week that by 9, 10 o'clock, they were at maximum capacity for boats. So you need to call ahead, especially on weekends, and see what's going on. But then when you are going to, well, there's other things you need to know when you go to. You know, with the dry weather we've had, I imagine we're seeing a lot of fire restrictions. Is that true, Bridget? That's right. That's a, a huge thing that we all have to work together and keep in mind is that to be careful with fire. And so on our website, we do have a fire restrictions and closures document. 
And we just ask that everyone really understands that our state has dry conditions right now and to look up to look what those restrictions and bans are going to be in each of the parks and each of the counties and to plan accordingly and then also never leave a fire unattended. Now, now, um, you said that's on the page. Is it pretty easy to find? Yes, absolutely. So if you go to our website of cpw.state.co.us, it's right on our homepage. It says fire restrictions and closures. And that document is being updated in real time. All right. I also know you're a big uh, advocate of making sure that you take proper care of yourself. In fact, one of the jokes you tell me is if you want wait, one way to have a bad day is to don't bring water and don't wear sunscreen. <laughs> Absolutely. As an Irish woman, I need my sunscreen and it is hot. And so it's always better to have more water. And that also goes for your pets as well. Remember your furry friends. They need a full thing of water as well when you're going for a hike or for an outdoor adventure. And I'll I'll put a note out that I'm very careful about sun exposure, but I've traveled the world doing fishing, television, and things. I spend a lot of time. And even as careful as I am, I've had a couple skin cancers removed. Make sure you cover up at elevation. You can sunburn so quickly, and you don't realize how hot you're getting out. And another thing that's coming up that we probably want a couple things, but one we want to talk about is um, operating boats. I know we talked about this last week, but uh, people need to realize that, you know, there's a lot of partying goes on the 4th of July, a lot of barbecues, a lot of them are at the lake, but it's much of a crime to operate a boat under the influence as it is a car. Exactly. And so CPW, we're actually participating in Operation Dry Water this weekend to encourage sober boating. And so if you're drinking on a boat, everyone needs a sober driver. It's the same as if you were driving a car. And it's because when you're under the influence and you're driving a boat, you're putting yourself in danger, you're putting the people on the boat in danger, and you're also putting the people out on the water in danger as well. That includes the kayakers and the paddleboarders and people just in boats. So it's just it's a safety tip, have a sober driver, and enjoy your time out on the water. You'll have a better time with a sober driver. And the last thing I want to kind of touch on is we're going to have so many people outdoors. And one of the joys of outdoors in Colorado are the tremendous wildlife watching opportunities we have. But there's some things you need to understand when you interact with wildlife. Uh, Bear-proofing your camp is a great one, isn't it? Yeah, so being bear aware in Colorado's bear country is so important. It's all about that coexisting. We are in bear habitat, bear space. And so it's really important to secure your food, to know that bears are going to be in the area, and to do everything that you can to make sure that a bear is not going to come into your campsite. Well, people, we have an extremely robust population of bears, and once they start knowing they can associate humans with food is when they become dangerous. And not only are you putting yourself in danger, but most of those bears then end up having to be euthanized and have to be put down. So think about that. I mean, just anything that's, you know, uh, even a, a lip gloss, like a cherry lip gloss in your tent, the scent of that can bring a bear in. You just have to be so careful. There's a great page on the website, too, about wildlife interaction that people should go to and the last one as far as wildlife i mean you need to be careful with all kinds of bears and mountain lions and all kinds of animals but i think the one that gets overlooked and is probably the most dangerous is the moose 
That's right. And I was just at Rocky Mountain National Park the other day, this week, and I was on a trail. A moose popped up. Uh, She had a calf with her. And it was so incredible to see the moose, but it also, it's so important to respect wild animals. And so I knew to stay calm, back myself up as far as I could, stand behind a tree, and just give the moose that level of respect that she was going to have her calf with her to be able to need to go down the trail. And I did see a gentleman walk closer to the moose to try to take a picture. And I had to say, that's really dangerous. She's going to charge. And I just think the message there is enjoy wildlife, live in the moment, give them their respect. And no blurry cell phone picture is ever worth a moose charging at you and you getting injured. It's never worth it. So respecting wildlife is so important. Moose is the only member of the deer family that doesn't shy from humans or wolves. And if you're out with a dog and they assume that dog is a wolf, they will attack and stomp that. And so often, especially if a dog is running loose, the dog runs back to the owner and then the moose stomps the owner and the dog runs away. Moose are incredibly dangerous, but they're majestic. They're fun to watch, but they're a very large animal. You can watch them easily from a distance and have a lot of fun and be safe. Bridget, thank you for joining us today. I think we just want to put these little tips out there. We know a lot of people are going to be outdoors. We don't want to sound like we want, we want things strict. We just want you to think about these things. So you have what you said in the beginning, a wonderful wonderful fourth of july with no tragedy thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much terry have a great day and a great weekend you bet bridget cashel parks and wildlife terry wickstrom outdoors is brought to you in part by jack's outdoor gear on 104.3 the fan you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan let's go to the phones and joining us from Fishing with Bernie is Dan Shannon from the Granby area. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. You know, I don't know why I even had you on. Everybody knows when the weather gets warm, the lake trout go around like 400 feet, and you can't catch them. So you're probably just driving around the lake not even fishing, right? Yeah, that's it. We're just driving around looking at the fish down at about 200, 280, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I can remember when that was the thought process around Colorado that you fished the lake trout early in the spring and then into the fall and you ice fished them, but summer came and you quit. But boy, I tell you what, you don't want to quit now because you're in some good fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Now's the time to be on the water. Um, we've had some great fishing lately with bites just, just seem to be picking up and getting more and more consistent as the, as the water gets consistent out here as the temps are even out. Let's talk first about the water level. How did Granby and the lakes around you do? Did they get full or close? Or they seem okay? Uh, we didn't quite fill up this year. Um, we saw Granby. Granby's sitting about 14 feet low, um, and it stopped filling. It hasn't hasn't added any any more water in the last couple of weeks. So I think that's going to be the peak for this year, which ultimately I think in the big scheme of things is not bad at all. And, of course, Grand Lake stays consistent because it's a natural lake. And how about um, Williams Fork? How did that do? Williams Fork did pretty well. It's just about full. Um, and it seems to be that Williams Fork and Wolford, they actually they put enough water in. So uh, some, I think portion of it was just the runoff in the basins we had for, the, for Lake Granby, why we didn't fill it up. But uh, for the most part, all the lakes have done pretty well. 
let's let's talk a little bit about that lake trout fishing. You've been you and I talked earlier in the week, and uh, first of all, you said that there's great numbers of fish, those ones that eaters, the limits, where you want to go out there and you can get those fifteen to twenty inch fish. You're you're finding numbers of those. Is that right? Oh, the bite for the numbers fish has been excellent. Uh, we've been doing pretty consistently able to put a couple of limits of, of eater-sized fish in the boats on a regular basis, and we're finding them scattered throughout the lake. So we're finding them from depths anywhere from the upper 40s all the way down to 85 feet. Um, and so we're really not having to target them deep, and they're, they seem to be relating pretty heavily to structures. So whether the structure is the top of a hump or it's a transition area from rock to mud or just isolated rock piles, those fish seem to really be sitting on the, on the structure. What type of presentation are you using for that size fish? Uh, we're thinking a lot of, a lot of crayfish type presentations. So, so dark colored small plastics that are in about that sub three inch size. We're kind of focusing mainly around two inch size baits, tipped with a small thumbnail size piece of sucker, and we're just working them just like you would think of a crayfish down there scurrying between the rocks, trying to get away from that lake trout that's that's trying to eat it. Now, what about the bigger fish? You you also told me that. You are seeing uh, a number of fish over 30 inches to 34 and even some bigger ones. A little different process. You hunt those a little more and then a different presentation. Yeah, different presentation. Those fish aren't focusing so much on the smaller crayfish as they are focusing on the bigger prey. So so they're they're thinking more along the lines. We've got rainbow trout in here. We've got brown trout. We've got the, the kokanee salmon. There's a decent population of those in here. So, so thinking along the lines of, of that as far as sizes of baits, a lot of people think uh, that that the small baits is going to catch them all. A big fish that tends to like a big, big meal. They, they want to put as little effort into the most calories. So think along those lines and, and get out after those same, some of those similar locations is to in the general areas where you may be finding those kokanee or rainbows. Any particular presentation that seems to work better than others? Oh, I lake trout and tube jigs for some reason seems to be uh, seems to be key. They there's the we tend to isolate and catch just the bigger fish when we go up in size on our bait. So we're fishing the five, six, eight, sometimes ten inch tube jigs to get those those bigger fish to bite. So don't be afraid to go up in size. Those big fish they've got a big mouth, big teeth. They, they'll bite some pretty amazing things as far as the overall size of it. Oh, and I tell you what, it's you hook a twenty pound lake trout, which I've done. Uh, Karen and I actually were in Bernie's boat, and we both had a twenty pounder on at the same time. She claims hers was bigger, but when I look at the picture, it looks like mine was bigger. She's over here shaking her head. Bernie actually listed hers as bigger. He cooperated with her, but we'll get that's another day. But that sounds but, like coercion. So, I don't know how that worked out. Yeah, I don't know either. But there are just people understand that you know that most people don't catch big fish in their life and Granby offers offers an opportunity for some really nice you get a three foot long fish that's weighing you know in the 20 pound range that's a pretty good day of fishing and you and it's still possible and and it'll continue right on through till the spawn and then it'll change again and we'll talk some more real quick what about some of the other lakes around you anything else you could recommend or what's happening i heard grand lake is fishing well Oh man, Grand Lake this year has been uh, hearing from from our other guide, uh, part of our guide team. They're saying that it is the best they've ever seen it. Um, as far as just numbers, rainbow trout, brown trout bites on the early mornings in the inlets. Um, we didn't have a real heavy runoff, so that may have been part of it. But the temps stayed down there, and then getting into the lake trout on Grand Lake, the the numbers of fish have just been phenomenal. Uh, I haven't really seen seen them. There's 
heard anything about the big fish on Grand Lake, which there is a few in there. And when you usually catch a big fish on Grand Lake, it's truly big, big fish. Um, but just the overall bite on Grand has been something that it's better than it's been in a long time. What about Williams Fork? You mentioned that it pretty much filled. And is it fishing pretty well? Williams Fork's been fishing excellent for the eater-sized fish and and combining in the same places we're catching the eater fish, we're, the, we're seeing some of the bigger fish come out. Um, so they're overall Williams Fork fishing very well. Um, part of it may be because of the declining population of the kokanee and rainbows because of the the, the parks and wildlife effort to uh, to remove the gill ice. But those fish in there are hungry, and the bite there has been been good as well. How about pike? You seeing any pike at Williams Fork? The water's warming up. The pike activity is starting to increase. You're finding them kind of in the late morning and then the, that very last uh, last little bit of, of hours that they let you be on the water with the boat, so just prior to 8 o'clock. Um, the, the bite is starting to pick up. You know, pike like the, a little bit warmer water, and they're hungry as well. The, their food base being the kokanee and, and rainbows has, has diminished, so they're starting to really get active chasing swim baits and, uh, and jerk baits. You mentioned Wolford. How about I'm, that's probably more rainbows and kokanee. How's that fishing? Rainbows, kokanee, and I hear that the the pike population in there is, despite the uh, the bounty placed on the the pike bite, maybe maybe something that's going on in there. So uh, don't don't discount that one. But the kokanee numbers in there are probably the best in the area for the lake for for any of our lakes here in Grand County, and and that bite there is pretty consistent as far as trolling right now. We look for it to get a little bit better later in the year, like August, as far as maybe to a jigging bite when those kokanee school up and really stage from the spawn. But right now they're, they're being caught with the, the trolling. Dan, we got to run. If people want more information or they want to book a trip with you guys, how do they get a hold of you? You can look us up on uh, the, the web at fishingwithbernie.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at the same and Facebook same. Give us a call. Uh, we're booking up quick, but we do still have some openings left to end the summer. And don't forget about that fall bite. Come October, the bite just does nothing but get better each day as it passes. That fall bite is one of my favorite fishing times. When those uh, numbers of lake trout move into uh, to spawn on Granby, that's a great time to take a novice angler out and have them just get numbers of fish. I love that. Great, great bite. Dan, thanks for joining. So much for joining us. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet. Dan Shannon with Fishing with Bernie. By the way, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's two or three shows where we actually fish those lakes with the guys from Fishing with Bernie. And uh, it, a lot of great information is shared there. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Nate Zielinski's going to talk to us about the transition of the summer walleyes and how you can stay on the bite right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.